the answers lie deep within yourself. And I think at times we feel like we're grasping or we're looking outward or we're seeking some sort of revelation and we'll, we'll look towards anything for it. But there are these subtle ways in which we can tap into the inner wisdom. And that's what the tarot offers. It mirrors back our inner experiences, but it helps reveal the things that have been hiding in the darkness. And the ability to just open yourself up to that potential, to create a space to meditate, to work on yourself, to be intentional, that's like an alchemical process. Like you can transmute something that felt so stuck, so leaden into something golden just by doing that. Hello, and welcome back to another week here on the Hidden World Podcast. I'm your host, Whitney Logan, and my guest today is a returning favorite, Alyssa Polizzi. Alyssa is the co-host of the Golden Shadow Podcast, which is one of my favorite weekly listens. She is also an extraordinarily gifted tarot teacher. For those of you unfamiliar with the tarot or skeptical about its usefulness, I expect you will likely have your minds blown by our conversation today. You can find Alyssa on the web at alyssapolizzi.com, on Instagram at alyssa.polizzi, and you can tune into her podcast or catch one of her live online events by checking out goldenshadow.org. Welcome to this week's episode of The Hidden World. So pretend that I don't know anything about tarot. Mm -hmm. How would you describe it to me? Yeah. The tarot is a deck of 78 cards that um, is a refined system of symbolic knowledge and archetypal images. And really what it contains is this access point into the unconscious space. So by working with cards that are filled with this depth of imagery, what it does is really bring forward a lot of inner contents. So tarot should be approached both as this tool of of self-inquiry to access the inner parts of our own personality, but also to interact with something more collective, something more archetypal, and something that really represents a cultural lineage of wisdom and knowledge. When you say it should be worked with, to to these ends for these purposes Mm -hmm. how do you work with it yeah tarot is interesting because what it's doing is really creating an environment where we can invoke a sort of synchronistic experience just to say that a kind of inner uh intention a sort of inner dynamic is being met with an external uh situation an external expression and so it's this convergence of the inner intention of kind of drawing forth some sort of uh, prompt or insight that you're desiring and then allowing the cards at random to produce um, some sort of image, some sort of archetype for consideration. So when we do that, we're opening ourselves up to a lot of different potentials, to look at things from different perspectives, to consider situations in ways we wouldn't have before. And 
that's like the best sort of mindset I think to really utilize when utilizing the tarot. Um, it's to have a sense of openness and curiosity, but at the same time to be open to what the cards are showing you and the ways in which that kind of challenges your mindset or these kind of stricter of uh, ways that you might be uh, feeling or ways in which you have been approaching a situation and the tarot really challenges all of that. So at its heart, in its most simplest way, you have an intention, you draw a card at random, and then you try to make sense of the bridge between those two. Mm. Okay. Break this down for me, if you can, with mm -hmm. an example. So consider um, an individual who has been working at a job for several, several years, but is really feeling sort of ready to move on, maybe no longer excited about their work, yet at the same time hasn't made that kind of leap into kind of shaking things up, looking for a new job. You know, there's all of these fears, all of these uncertainties. If I leave behind the known world, am I actually going to find something better? Am I just kind of in that grass is greener on the other side kind of mentality? So you're sitting there, you're contemplating that situation. You feel sort of stuck, even kind of running in circles. You've been contemplating a change for, you know, over a year. So that's a really great time, times of transition, times of challenge, times of uncertainty to turn towards the tarot. So you lay your cards out. The intention is to get some insight into the situation and you draw a card like the death card, which is a very dynamic major arcana. And the majors, um, the tarot is really broken down into two systems, the major arcana and the minor arcana. And the majors really carry these kind of broad strokes of archetypal experience, very familiar striking figures, um, often greater life lessons that we're moving through. And the death card is one that can be a little scary, a little overwhelming for people, but it's always important to approach the tarot and the images symbolically. So death, when we think about it from that symbolic point of view, is about change, it's about transition, it's about letting go of an old chapter and the beginning of a new one. It's the, the natural cyclical uh, nature of the seasons, you know, summer comes to a close and then, you know, fall comes in or, you know, winter brings the sort of death, but then spring is uh, reborn and death should be considered that way. So as you look at it from those themes of change, transition, kind of letting go of something old and being open to something new, that gives that individual, the querent, all of these themes, all of these um, archetypal dynamics to really sit within. So you see death, you're thinking about how you want to make these changes, and it really challenges you as you look at that card, as you kind of gaze into the imagery, what comes up with, within you, you might really feel, yes, like I have been ready to let go. I have been ready to move on, but I've been stuck, you know, and why is that? Is it fear? Is it anxieties? The uncertainty? Maybe there are more questions that come up and so you can pull more cards, but that one card alone has brought up a consideration that you could sit and journal with and really challenge yourself on. And in that way, you can move forward because you've created this, um, this environment, this container to really dive deep inside of yourself. And that hopefully should illuminate a path forward. And, and that kind of brings up another point of the use of tarot is not necessarily to 
tell you a likely future, but rather to empower you with dynamic internal and external insights so that you can make your choices with more consciousness. So it's like a mirror. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Amazing. (laughs) How long have you been working with the tarot? Mm. I'd say it's probably been over seven years at this point, but my relationship with the tarot started out in a very casual way. I mean, I was even getting readings when I was a teenager. I had a few opportunities that came up and I always felt really drawn in um, that having the cards out in front of me was this really exciting dynamic experience. But as I began working with the tarot, Um, It was just a group of close friends and I, and we would meet up and we would have dinner and we would pull a couple tarot cards and none of us really knew how to read them very properly, but we always found uh, them so striking, so challenging, so insightful, that it became this ritual and this routine that we would do at least every month. And at that time, I didn't even have my own deck. We actually created a tarot deck out of playing cards, (laughs) which kind of just goes to show you, like you don't, there's no real barrier of entry here. Like we just wrote the names of the the different cards on, uh, we we, kind of combined two playing decks and we made this sort of just DIY tarot for fun. And from there, I realized how uh, useful it was for me. And I grabbed a Rider weight deck and I started learning and found that the process of, of building a relationship to the cards came very easily, um, although it was still challenging. So I, I've kind of had this interesting arc of first being introduced to it as a teenager, but really getting into it about seven years ago, but in a really um, low key, low stress way. And I think that's what's lovely about the cards is you can really enter into them at all different um, spaces and it's going to offer you something. Mm, I love that. And I kind of want to go to that dinner party. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, I've attended one of your dialectical tarot um, courses Mm. and what I really loved about it was um, you and some other folks who study the tarot, teach tarot, you use different images, different decks, had different perspectives on the depth of meaning that that symbol on the card you were working with could, could present. And um, it felt to me like um, all of it was valuable, a really different kind of playing with an idea Mm. um, than you typically find in a lot of our, um, I don't know, didactic education, right? Sure, yeah. Um, And can can you tell us exactly how you play with these images and why you maybe like to do it in a group or or what is meaningful about doing it solo as well? Yeah, um, the event you're talking about, something that we've been doing for the last few months, and 
dialectical tarot is really meant to be this exploration and challenging discussion between individuals who have studied the tarot from different points of view and very specifically from the three kind of core lineages of the tarot and that's like the, the classic French tarot de Marseille, the, uh, the Thoth deck by Aleister Crowley, and then the Rider-Waite-Smith um, by Arthur Edward Waite, Pamela Coleman-Smith, and these sort of three core lineages of the cards, I think carry, in my opinion, some of the most powerful imagery that we see. Uh, it's really before the explosion of interest that tarot has had in the last few decades, where there's been all these reinterpretations of the cards and uh, different artwork and different ways that the symbolism has changed. But I think when you kind of go back to this core source, you really see the archetypes and the influences being drawn upon in extremely dynamic and very powerful ways. And so each of us uh, kind of studied orig originally under each of those lineages, and we're kind of coming together to circumambulate the core tarot archetype, but through these different languages or through, through these different dialects, even you might say. Um, and then it's, a, it's an extremely uh, illuminating way to see how the tarot uh, brings up all of these different insights and perspectives and in individual, but that we all are working around a similar archetype. So we've done most recently the Empress, and that is a card that really taps into the kind of the archetype of the mother, you might say. It's about abundance and creation and life form and nature. And when we look at that central archetype, um, each of those decks have sort of expressed it in different ways. So like the writer weight has a lot of uh, a kind of more Greek Demeter-esque uh, Venusian-like imagery with ears of corn and the Venusian symbol on her shield. And she looks like she's sitting in this, this uh, plush garden with is full of all of like nature and its abundance. Um, but then you look at something like the Marseille deck, which is a much older version, which has her kind of sitting in this more regal way. She seems more of like the queen who's sort of holding her space in the castle. And so we can look at these different um, perspectives and each of us are going to read it a little bit differently and that creates this really dynamic relationship to the tarot so that every reader has their own unique way of working with the cards what's sort of revealed will be different depending on the the deck that you use but when you come together it's extremely expansive. I can get a different perspective. I can see the way the archetype's being expressed to somebody else. And that is really enriching. Um, at the same time, you can really hone in on the personal practice of the tarot and learn to read it your way, to see the way those kind of uh, secrets, that hidden knowledge, that those unconscious aspects are shown to you over time. So each tarot reader really gets to build a dynamic personal relationship to the cards. And by working with the tarot, which is this very particular set of 78 cards, you'll be learning this central language, but the way that you speak it, the nuance, the cadence is going to be your own. And I think that's what's so beautiful about the tarot is that it doesn't have to look an exact way. Each person is going to work with it differently. And that is, um, just as powerful as the next reader who's using it. So it invites both a dynamic personal relationship, but you can also come together and expand upon each other's knowledge.
I love that. <laughs> Can you, you said, you've said the word archetype or archetypal a handful of times. Mm-hmm. And in case there's some new listeners that <laughs> are unfamiliar with what that word means, would you be comfortable defining it? Sure. Yeah. Archetypes, and I'm using this from a very Jungian perspective, are uh, I think easiest way to think about it are these organizing principles within our psyche really refers to the way that we process information, the way that we organize experience into meaning. Um, It's the kind of psychological uh, building blocks that we have. And it's very analogous to our own sort of biological instincts. But instead, these are like the impulses and the instincts that are deep within the psyche. So archetypes really come into uh, relationship with us by helping us associate to images and ideas and people and different influences. And it, it kind of connects us back to this core aspect of our nature, our human nature, and it's a shared aspect. It's what Jung would say is part of the collective unconscious, which is this shared instinctual psychic nature that all of us have. So archetypes make up our psychological makeup. They help us navigate the world. It's how um, you know a woman can become pregnant and just has the, these instincts for mothering. But it's also the way that we naturally come into relationship with our personal mother or how we understand the, the great mother archetype in a fairy tale or how we relate to it on, in a movie. And it's the images that come forth, you know, it's, it's the fairy godmother, or maybe it's like the more terrible version of that mother. And there's just like this instinctual, deep knowing, um, and archetypes kind of mediate these different dynamics to us, often images or the figures, but archetypes really aren't the figures themselves, like the great mother or the fairy godmother or something like that. It's, it's like the structure. It's like much more meta. It's, it's the, it's the structure behind what informs that and how we can collectively share these experiences, no matter where we're born in the world and at what time. Mm. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard this a thousand times, but I think one of my favorite ways to think about the archetypes is that they are these, um, universal images or themes that both have a an instinctual pole like an um infrared in the body mm-hmm. instinctual aspect and then this ultraviolet or spiritual yeah pole mm-hmm. it, the image the idea the the fantastic um sort of fantasy version the yeah. fairy godmother the the hero the um great mother the evil stepmother the witch the divine child the you know the um orphan all of that um is easiest to relate to through images and stories yeah um but then we can feel connected to this feeling of uh that moves through us that is maybe of the great mother in our mothering instincts or the orphan if we feel abandoned and alone etc yeah it brings up that mind body connection the spirit and the material and how dynamically intertwined they are like we can't really have 
one without the other. It's kind of helpful sometimes to put them on a spectrum or see them as a dichotomy, but they're so dynamically intertwined so that the body knows how to step into archetypal experiences of how to fall in love or how to grow up or how to become a parent or how to ease into death even. And yet there's also this psychological equivalent to that. And on top of it, then there's mythology and um, imagery and emotional dynamics. So the archetypes are just flowing through us in all of these dynamic ways. And I think what's so interesting about the tarot is it, it makes these archetypal experiences accessible. It contains them, it kind of reduces them down to something that can be digestible. So that when we see the death card, something that brings up these feelings of change and transition, which can be extremely overwhelming, is contained in this symbolism, in this imagery, and it, it gives you a little bit of space. It allows you to contemplate things in a way that might not be so charged and overwhelming and allows you then maybe to work with it in a little bit more of an accessible way. And that's really why tarot works. Um, every single card expresses something archetypal, which is why you could pull that card and get something from it, apply it to the situation. Um, but it also contains it. It allows you to feel that you can contemplate it more, work with it more, um, translate it into your own life and get something meaningful from using the cards. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's break down the deck a little bit more. Um, you mentioned the minor arcana and the major arcana. Can you describe the minor arcana and the the four suits that you find there and maybe the movement or the story? Mm -hmm. um, of that half of the deck. Yeah, the minor arcana is made up of four suits um, and they really provide detail to readings that express everyday experiences, situational dynamics, um, emotional stuff, um, mental dynamics. It really helps ground these broader archetypes of the major arcana so that say you were to pull like a full spread of only majors, it can actually be pretty difficult to wrap your mind around it because the themes are so broad. They're so vast. And the minor arcana really brings things down to earth. And these four suits express kind of different expressions of life. And we kind of get into the dynamic power of the quaternity and the elements because each of these suits carry their own elemental tone and their own themes. So we have the wands, which is um, the element of fire. And we have themes of willpower and action and agency, inspiration, excitement. It also relates to the union <clears throat> the Jungian um, typological structure as well. So the wands are also intuition. And then we have cups, which is the element of water. And those are heartfelt experiences, emotional dynamics, relationships, and relates to the, uh, the typological uh, feeling. Um, and then we have swords, which are air. And that's about rationality and intellect and discernment and distortions of reality. And that is uh, the function of thinking. And then we have the pentacles, which is earth. And that gets us into themes of material concerns, stability, investment, nature, and that's the function of sensation. So we see this really dynamic balance, the four elements, the four functions, 
different themes that kind of capture in a pretty comprehensive and holistic way, these different grounded life experiences. And within each of the minor arcana is its own kind of narrative arc. And we see both the kind of birthing the potential being born in the first card of the minor suit, which is the ace. That's like the seed of potential. And then that moves all the way through from number two to number 10. And each card is its own dynamic experience in this narrative. And by the time you get to number 10, we have a closure, we have an ending, and also the beginning or the cycle restarting. So each card carries a kind of number which symbolizes some sort of theme. And as you take one step after another through the minor arcana suit, you uh, expand, you contract, you're challenged, you see successes, there's wounds, there's um, times of, of winning. All of these different cards are encompassing different expressions through the theme of the suit. So it's, you start to learn that really the tarot is made up of patterns. And I think that's like one of the key ways to learn and understand is to notice the patterns because all of the twos carry a expression that is about kind of balancing the opposites. Um, it's about choices to be made. The number threes are all about expansion, what's born from our choices, creation. All the fives in the tarot are about challenge points and difficulty. All the tens are about closures and the reopening of a new cycle. So you, you see these patterns and then you sort of apply the, the, the thematic um, element to them. So although the cards can seem kind of overwhelming and building relationship to them can take time, uh, the tarot is really woven within it are all of these different sort of fractaled narratives and patterns. And the minor arcana really help give you a lot of depth of insight. They're really ground reading so that you can reach, relate to them more readily. Where do you place the page, the knight, the queen, and the king? Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are the court cards, which are a part of the minor arcana. This is where we start to get into the nuance of the minor arcana are made up of, first and foremost, uh, 10 cards. The ace through the tens are what are called the pip cards. But then you have four court cards, and they exist in relationship to the suit itself so that you have a page of wands, a knight of wands, a queen of wands, a king of wands, but they are their own um, kind of pattern. They're their own narrative development. And the pages are like the beginning seeds of the uh, potential for a lot of personal development. I tend to look at the court cards as this ability for you to embody and integrate the themes of the minor arcana suit and not necessarily experience them outside of yourself in different situations, but to grow personality towards greater um, strokes of maturation and allow yourself to take on those qualities of say a fiery wands individual and move further, further in development. So the pages are considered the, the beginning, the source. It's the, the first introduction that you might have to embodying courage and willpower in action on that development of wands. And then you take it one step further. The knight then represents movement in action and development in that suit. And you can think of the knights as if the page are kind of like childlike, curious, the beginner student, 
the, the knights are more of these like young adults who have gained some insight, gained a little bit maturity, but are a little imbalanced. So we tend to see knights with pretty extreme expressions. Their sort of valence can move into more shadowy places so that the knight of wands might be an individual who's learning how to embody these dynamics of the wands. So they're taking inspired action. They're moving more excitedly into an environment. Um, they're creative, dynamic, and passionate, but there might also be a foolhardiness to them. They might be impulsive. It's going to counsel you to watch out how you might be too competitive or jumping into things too quickly. So the knights kind of represent the challenges that come through the development in the suit. And then we get to the queen and the king, which to me represent two sides of maturity. The queens are this more inward kind of introverted quality of, of maturity that we see. Um, the queen of wands is embodying more of this confident, creative, vibrant, sociable nature who really leads from her heart. She sort of has that energy of wands pouring from her. And as a queen, she both has the internal maturity and uh, nature that can hold the strength inside of herself, but can also open up that kind of an invitation for others to come forward, to also embrace their potential, to connect to their passions. So all of the queens have this more subtle nature to them. It's really asking you, are you holding that depth of maturity inside of yourself and thus able to extend it out and support others? And then the kings I see as a much more extroverted maturity where like the King of Wands holds a lot of vision and focus and natural authority. So he might be more building structures or encouraging you to take responsibility and to take the helm of leadership, to be bold and assertive, uh, but to lead through that like conviction and charisma, uh, to have a strong dynamic presence, which people can really see in the external world, can rally to, um, so the king and queen are both these kind of yin and yang of expression of maturity. So the court cards are some of the most difficult to learn, but I like to approach them in that way of a real uh, way of embodying them on a deeply personal level and helping grow your own personality towards their, um, towards their themes and really being able to integrate that in a dynamic way. You know, it's interesting. Um, I don't feel like I know the tarot very well. I know it just a little bit, like a real amateur. Mm -hmm. um, but I have a couple decks and my my daughter, she likes to what she calls play tarot. <laughs> and um, just maybe an hour ago, um, I was getting out my deck to pull a card before this conversation. And she asked if she could play tarot. And I said, sure. And and I said, what question do you want to ask or um, what are you curious about? And she, she asked the deck, um, how can I make friends at my new school? And um, then she looked at the cards and she said, you know, I think it's either this one or this one. And I said, well, what, you know, which, what does your heart say? Which one? Yeah feel can you feel in your heart more and she's and then she actually pointed to a third one and said oh I actually I think it's this one and she pulled it and it was the queen of cups mm. and I thought that that was such a perfect card for that question yeah especially for her mm. um, she's a very sensitive kid mm. 
um, very connected to her feelings and to other people's feelings. Yeah. And, and I don't, again, I feel like an amateur, but what I said to her in a language I thought she might be able, able to understand um, was that I thought the card was telling her it would be very important for her to be gentle and kind about her own feelings and gentle and kind about other people's feelings. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's so beautiful. Um, a lot of times when I see the court cards, I also read them as kind of like advice givers. Like there's another figure, a sort of psychic figure who's come to the table and they speak through that voice, like the queen of cups voice. And she encourages compassionate and caring ways of relating to people of she has emotional intelligence her sensitivity to the nature of others is because she feels that deep 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 within herself like the queen of cups is the the type that runs very very deep and so she's encouraging this really gentle compassionate yet authentic um, emotional expression and balance in others and it really creates that like warm inviting pool so you can see it both as that aspect inside of her that relates to the queen of cups but also as that more mature part of that psychic figure that can say, you know, enter into this situation as I would. This is how I would approach it. The, these are the actions I would take. And the, the core cards can be extremely powerful when they act as those type of advice givers to say, you know, this is how I would handle it. it and it, it helps you realize that within you, you have that same multiplicity of potential because you could be a queen of cups. You can kind of uh, lean into the depths of the emotional feeling realm, or maybe it would be the queen of wands. And she would ask you to show more of that um, fiery uh, excitement, you know, to let your being shine, to to be vibrant, to be creative, to be sociable, you know, to see what others like and see what you like and have fun. Um, so there's all these different ways that the nuance of the core card presents itself, but all of them are within you. All of them are a potential kind of uh, seed that could be planted and nurtured. And that's why I think both the court cards can be very difficult because it's hard sometimes to, to feel that inside of yourself. I think for each person who reads tarot, they usually have um, a suit in particular that feels a little bit difficult for them to relate to. And that might speak to areas where you really do need to work and improve. So the, the cards just offered all of these different potentials and how they play out is, is really dependent on, on how willing you are to, to be open to what they have to say. Yeah, I'm smiling because um, I have always found the pentacles a little difficult to relate to. Mm. And um, you're the first person that has ever described the suits in relationship to typology to me. <laughs> and uh, this sensate function is absolutely my inferior function. <laughs> yeah. So that checks out. <laughs> I really like the correspondences, I think that there's a really, uh, it, it's important, I think, to find the relationship between um, these different areas of thought and not everything's going to match up perfectly. It's not a one-to-one -one comparison, 
but I think at its core, especially with the typological functions, that it really does match up in this really dynamic way. And it can help you understand through maybe more of this psychological view, how the pentacles are approaching life, you know, so they're going to draw upon more of that grounded sensation uh, way of being, which is going to make them a little bit more practical, a little bit more focused on what is concrete, what is real. They're going to be in opposition to a more intuitive way of being, which is more of that uh, direct unconscious knowing the impulses that drive you without uh, concrete evidence of why it should be. So if you struggle in one of these areas, you can also focus then on the, those cards and you know, here's just an example of something you can do. Take all the pentacles out of your deck, place them in front of you, um, you know, uh, uh, with the backs towards you. And an intention is, you know, what aspect of my sensation function can I work on? Or maybe which aspect of my sensation function is most in shadow um, and draw one of those cards. So you're specifically drawing from the pentacles and then you're going to draw something out and maybe it's a court card, which gives you some access towards a more personality development, or maybe you get a different card, um, maybe something like the eight of pentacles, which shows an individual kind of working very hard at a at mastering a craft of committing to a vision, working diligently. It really kind of gets you into this um, very grounded, industrious nature. It brings you into these elements of what you're working upon every day and how you're committing to it. And maybe that's a struggle. Maybe you're so up in that intuitive realm, the abstract, the potential that you're not paying attention to uh, that more earthly plane. So there's all these different ways that the cards could be used to help facilitate and support uh, one's own personal development. Mm, that is good. I'm going to do that. Later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. So then talk to me about the major arcana. Is there also a, a story arc or um, some kind of narrative arc that goes along with those cards? Mm, yeah, it's I think helpful to consider the major arcana to be this kind of arc of the spiritual journey and that each step is kind of this access point or this doorway into the development of the psyche in a really dynamic and a very, very powerful way. It's kind of like the underlying structure of consciousness that exists within all of us. And each of those steps represent uh, a challenge or development or a potential that drives us kind of more and more on that path of individuation, but it's very contained, you know, you don't get from, you know, the beginning to the end and like, okay, I'm done. Path of individuation is finished. It, it mm -hmm. represents that same natural cycle where we are on a kind of meta arc of, of development. And after we feel like we've reached this point of completion, it begins again. So we can see it both as that path of individuation, but we can relate it, I think, in a more grounded sense to something like uh, the journey of a hero or a heroine, you know, this individuating consciousness that kind of comes from this origin point or even the, the known realm and then kind of pushes out into the world and starts to develop themselves. So one thing that you might hear about the major arcana is that it's also called the fool's journey. And the, and the development of the fool being the first card is the protagonist and the fool in the tarot, at least with the versions that I use is numbered zero. So he actually exists outside 
of the development of the deck, which is to say that he kind of weaves his way through. As the protagonist, he's like always present, he's kind of the driving, uh, individuating psyche. But when we see the fool, that's our beginning source. That's the call to adventure. That's where you have to take the leap of faith. But being this kind of um, immature, uh, not yet realized individual, there's also this sense of innocence, openness, um, lacking knowledge and, and complete insight into what's happening. And it's it's a very humbling card. You kind of realize when the fool comes up that you're beginning again and you have to come back to that place where you say, you know, I don't know what comes next. I don't know what's down the road, but I'm going to just move from this place of instinct. I'm going to just take that leap of faith and take the risk because there is a potential here. And that potential is the entire journey of development and um, maturation that awaits you. And when you finally get to this end point, which is the world, that's the resolution. It's the completing of the cycle. It's the arrival, it's the graduation. But as you reach maturity, you kind of are, are accessing a new level and then you start again. So there's this really lovely way that the tarot reminds us how at every stage of our life, we are both a student and a master. We have potential to know more and we have the potential to teach. We can give back and we can also receive. And the fool from that beginning point really takes us through this entire process of, you know, the, the birth of consciousness, the um, meeting the kind of earthly parents, the empress, the emperor, coming into contact with individuals, learning our strength, um, coming into relationship with these more dynamic uh, cosmic forces like the wheel of fortune and death and temperance. It's, it's extremely um, exciting to move through the major arcana, but it can be a little overwhelming as well because the, the themes are very powerful. They can really kind of strike an individual when it comes forward and leave you feeling very seen. And I think sometimes that can feel uh, very vulnerable. Uh, but that's why the cards are powerful. I think that's why people also fear them. It's like sometimes it feels like the tarot is not holding anything back. It's going to go straight to the core of things. Yes. I feel that way about a lot of symbol systems, like mm. the, the I Ching. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it, it seems to always tell the truth, no matter how ugly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's useful because we can just be stuck in our own patterns or, you know, ignoring some aspects of shadow. And a lot of times we can set up things in our environment, whether externally or internally, that just kind of keep us going on this straightforward track or that can keep us um, ignoring or stuck in a maladaptive pattern or whatever it might be. And when we introduce these uh, systems like tarot, it's a real invitation to shake things up. And it's a, it, it's another voice that can come in and, and really what it's doing is giving you access to unconscious material, things that you have maybe not wanted to look at. Um, but also I think, and this is an important thing to note is that we can continue to perpetuate our own narratives using the cards too. You know, if you want to just see the same old thing in it, you can do that too. So there has to be this sense of allowing those, um, those defenses to come down, to not jump to a conclusion of what the reading might be, to ask yourself the more difficult questions. And if you feel like 
the tarot is always just kind of confirming, 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 and not always challenging or making you reconsider, that might be an indication that um, maybe you're not seeing things in that full perspective. Maybe you're, you're feeling a little bit stuck. So, you know, there's the ways that I think these cards or other symbolic systems can be used to just confirm, you know, your biases already. Um, but that's human nature. That's what we have to contend with when we're working with psyche. So I, I think I want to ask you about maybe a couple cards and let you tell me what you know about them. I'm happy to do this any way you want. I could shuffle my deck and pull a couple cards. I could tell you about recent um, questions I've taken to the deck and what's come up. What would be easiest for you? Oh, I think any of those options, but... Um... If you, if you do the latter, it'll definitely get a little bit more deeply into your situation. So depending on what I'd say, like your comfort level is, we could do just draw a random card and I can just talk about it from this more broad perspective, or, you know, if it might be helpful to you or the audience to get a, a more grounded, you know, insight into the card based on your own situation, we could do that one. So here's what I'll do. Um, Okay. I, so I recently was admitted into the analyst training program um, at the Young Institute in Chicago. And one of the first things that we were told we needed to do was find a consultant or a supervisor. So an, a senior analyst that would start working with us uh, to supervise our clinical work or our emerging analytic work. And um, I had received a couple referrals um, and I really didn't know much about, about either person. And so I asked the tarot for wisdom on choosing to work with one person and I drew the Empress card. Um, and then I asked the tarot for wisdom if I worked with the other person and I drew the tower. And um, I actually felt pretty neutral about both of those with enough information about, I mean, the tower is a scary looking image, but um, I think I expect this training program to be a bit of a radical deconstruction for me anyway. Um, and so I thought that they, I thought that they were both positive actually. Um, or I, I don't know, neutral, but um, I guess my, my question then would be given, given the question that I asked and the cards that I pulled, would you want to talk about either of those cards? Yeah, definitely. Yes. Okay. Both actually. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> um, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that I'm, I'm very intuitive. So I've got like images and flows coming just from you explaining the situation and the cards that were pulled. I mean, the first thing that strikes me is that what potential kind of lies with, with each of these relationships is what the analysts and 
the kind of dialectic between the two and what might be fostered in that analytic relationship as they supervise you. And that first individual representing more of that Empress card really gets into that expression of the more feminine principle. It's very yin, it's uh, very nurturing. It's this creation principle that kind of builds from the kind of bottom up and creates this space where you feel very held. And that may be together both depending on like how the analyst works, but maybe more importantly, what I think is just going to be constellated between the two of you is this dynamic creative uh, relationship where you move through your program and how they guide you is like maybe more of that um, figure like a mother, more of the empress, more of the way of that grounded guidance that allows you to continue to kind of breathe life into all of these potentials. And that's a really powerful way, I think, to be in a, in a therapeutic relationship. Um, that's one aspect that I think is really powerful. But then on that other side, you have the tower. And I think for many of us probably listening, we've had experiences and relationships where not that any one person is coming in as that like radical deconstructive force, but it just comes in and it really kind of shows you what needs to be taken down and what needs to be rebuilt. And that force of dynamic change is the tower. It's this real card of what feels like instability and collapse, but it's like as the tower falls, what rises from the ashes and it carries a a, an intensity to it. But I think moving through a kind of challenging developmental time of your life, like going into analytic training is going to be full of tower moments, as you said. And it, it feels like this is just a different perspective in a different way. Like what's being constellated in this relationship, it's much more of that tower. And maybe that's more revealing. Maybe that's more um, piercing. Um, maybe that's more feel, uh, of a feeling of catastrophe even at times, but the tower is, is powerful because it's a path to new beginnings. It's the revelations that allow you to see how things were maybe uh, growing old and weary you know, the, the, the structures that no longer fit. And it's then that energy and the volition to pull those down and to rebuild them back up. It's the kind of wrecking ball that comes in. So both of these perspectives to me seem to facilitate change and development and a lot of uh, potential for a real uh, maturity through the program, but it's, it's really different. And I don't think either one is better than the other. Maybe one's a little bit more yin, maybe one's a little bit more gentle in its nature, but the empress, um, it's important to remember her, I think, as more of that great mother archetype, because at times she's more in her exalted, upright expression, and she's nurturing, and she's abundant, and she's life-giving, but there will be other times where you see that darker, shadowy side, and you see that in yourself. You see those dynamics of of the dark mother where you might have to get into the, you know, the thonic depths and get dirty and realize, you know, that there are things here that need to um, be removed, that you need to take life away. And that in and of itself can be just as painful, just as difficult, but it might be expressed 
through more of the feminine. So one seems much more active, one seems much more intense in its at least overt or explicit expression, and one maybe a little bit more gentle, but um, they both seem just just as powerful, just as uh, just as much potential. I think it's it's just the question of what might feel like the greater fit for you. Yeah. Well, I had had some dreams about um, a powerful feminine initiation that um, involved a bathtub and some holding. And another dream where I saw an image that kind of felt like a combination of the Empress and strength, the strength card, um, on a painting in a room kind of around this time. So I wound up thinking that that the Empress was the correct direction (laughs) for me to go and that the training program would be enough of a tower experience in and of itself that I could maybe not double down on that energy. Oh, I, I love how you're linking dream work with the tarot. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I view working with the tarot very similarly to how I work with dreams and that when you wake up in the morning, you are presented with archetypal symbolic images from the unconscious psyche, and you can interpret them just as you might uh, tarot cards. So they they can really um, reinforce each other or call each other out, even you might say, so that themes that are coming up in the tarot, like pulling the Empress card, you know, is then supported by some dreams where you're continuing to um, be presented with these powerful feminine archetypes. Um, So it's, it's, a really a road that I encourage a lot of people to go down is to, to marry the dream work and the tarot. Mm, mm, that's good. Yeah. I, I do occasionally, it's not very often, but I do occasionally have dreams where there is very clearly an image in the dream that the only association I have to that is from the tarot. Um, and And it's such a helpful way to amplify the dream image is to be able to go to the deck or sometimes for me, because I'm an amateur, to the internet (laughs) and look up different teachers' perspectives on on those images. Yeah, I I think that the cards themselves can be just an anchor for meditation and further consideration so that if an image came up in a dream that seems really strikingly similar to a tarot card. And I will also say that I actually will dream of certain tarot cards that I hadn't pulled for some time. And that becomes like an anchoring, a focal point. I might take that card out of the deck, like the Ace of Swords and place it on my desk um, or print out a photo of it or put it as a background on my phone. And it works as that like reminder or to meditate on it, or then to look it up and see, you know, in some ways, the unconscious is always drawing upon all these different associations we have. So if it draws upon the tarot in its own way, it's kind of, it's its own form of a reading. It was just that it happened while you were sleeping. So I would then look it up, as you said, what does this card mean? What do other teachers say? Pull out some books, maybe even you know, grab a couple mythology books or like the book of symbols and compare that too. Cause you can 
because we're working from that same core, that archetypal symbolic core, you can look, yes, at, you know, definitions on the tarot website, but you can also look up, you know, in a different symbol book or in a mythology book, what those themes represent as well. And that process of amplification, I think just continues to enrich all of the potential that the, the cards have to offer. Yeah, that, yeah, that's good. I, it is striking to me how, when, when we talk about archetypes, whatever system, uh, whatever symbol system you use to relate to those things, they do, they do tend to be able to hold hands really well. Yeah, I agree. The ability to trace these different uh, archetypal dynamics through religious systems, through mythological systems, um, through the more contained divinatory symbolic systems helps you understand that there's, there's that underlying structure that we were talking about earlier. There is that collective unconscious that we all are a part of. And if something isn't quite making sense in you know, the tarot book that you have or on the website you looked up, it's like, well, maybe I could read a couple of myths about the great mother and see the different expressions of how we look at that um, archetype. You know, so you can turn towards a story like uh, Demeter and Persephone. You could look at um, the Virgin Mary. Um, you could look at a fairy tale and start to get some insight into that, um, you know, or maybe you could pull out another um, symbolic system and look at things astrologically or look at the I Ching. There's all these different ways that we can create uh, these relationships to the, the symbolism and the archetypes. And I think that, that the more that you do that, and I think that really comes with the greater um, kind of nuance and fluency as you as you work with the cards, you realize that it's made up of all of these other different parts as well. So woven into the tarot is dynamic history, religion, mythology, um, occult practices, other symbolic systems like alchemy and astrology. So you're not just having to learn what it means in the tarot, but you can relate it to these other aspects. And if that feels overwhelming, like I don't know if I can learn about, you know, the Greek pantheon and learn about alchemical symbolism. It's like, don't worry about it. It comes in time or it reveals itself slowly, but the potential is there. Um, the resources are there. And with the, with the right timing and the right mindset, you can continue to explore and expand so that even years and years later, you're still learning so much about the cards and the archetypes themselves. If I threw out a random card, would you know its connection to astrology? Astrology is not my strong point. I would say it's like one of the symbolic systems that I have not dove into as much, but I might. Do you know what the Queen of Swords is connected to? The Queen of, of Swords or in general, like the, the suit of swords is relating to um, air. And that's going to get you into um, Libra and Aquarius and so on. The, the swords and especially the queen and the king and the page and the knight are getting us into those functions of, of thinking. The queen of swords, 
I like to look at it elementally when I think of the court cards as each of them carry their own core element, which is air, but each of the, the court cards then have their own expression elementally. So that pages as that beginning first step represent earth and the excitement and development of the knights is uh, fire. And then the queens as like the relating uh, more gentle mastery is water and then the kings are air. So I look at the queen of swords as water of air. And what that means is that she embodies a lot of these aspects of the swords suit, which is more cerebral in nature. This queen is utilizing these kind of thinking functioned um, attributes uh, to have keen perception, keen perception, very clear thinking. She's able to navigate a lot of difficult sort of inner and outer situations with that balance between emotion and intellectuality, but she's not all cerebral. She's not like air on top of air, like the King of Swords is. She still has this nature of relatability to her, that feeling aspect, but it's it's coming into contact with the, the symbolism of the air. So she can balance that emotional aspect. She can tap into it, but she knows that in the past, not having those boundaries has caused strife, pain, difficulty, etc. And I particularly love the symbolism in the Rider Waite Smith card because you see the queen with her hand stretched outward and on her wrist, it looks like there's like a severed rope. So there's a sense that in the past, the queen has had things that bound her, um, whether that was her own choice or not. There were things that held her back. There were things that made her feel trapped, maybe uh, things that really challenged and hurt or wounded her. But there's some sense that her level of development and mastery has allowed her to cut free of those bonds, but there's openness still. Her hand extends outward kind of towards the world, towards others, but she has that strong, fierce, uh, powerful sword still at the ready so that she can, you know, discern when she needs to come in with the sword, but also be open to, you know, things flowing to her still. So it's this really nice balance between the intellectual nature of the swords mixed with the, the grounded emotional feeling tones of a queen. Okay, now I feel like that was a psychic reading. <laughs> that, that all landed on me incredibly intimately. So Sometimes it's hard to really see the, the nuance and the depth in the cards. And I think that it's sometimes just a matter of patience of allowing yourself to come further into relationship with them because you can just kind of read um, a couple websites and I think sometimes there is a real stereotypical way that the cards are presented which is understandable it has to be reduced down to something you know the queen of swords can get I think a really bad rep or there are ways that over the last few decades the cards have been reduced down into these stereotypes that i think don't do any of them much service so that the queen of swords is you know it's like cold and emotionless or even like a widow things like that and it's like okay okay i get it like she's had hard times but there's so much more than just like this archetype of the cold-hearted widow who no longer wants anyone around it's like no like if you peer into the card yes you see a strong figure but 
you know, you look at those nuances, like the, the, the severed rope on her wrist and that her hand is still extended. She's still very open, but she's learned to draw those boundaries. And then she can also help others do it. And that's what I think is so uh, exciting and so beautiful about the Queens is they have this this ability to still relate to others and guide them through um, having learned these lessons the hard way and they can guide them into that same level of maturity by showing them, you know, in this case, how to have those strong boundaries. I just realized this looking at the card, but there's butterflies on her throne and on her crown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the butterflies are a big symbol in the Rider Waite deck specifically. And what you see is transformation. You also see it um, on the king and you see it on the, I believe the, uh, on the horse and the knight of swords as well. Each uh, suit's court cards carry a, a pretty central um, animal symbol throughout. There's going to be some differences, but for the most part, the butterfly so what do we think of when we consider the butterfly? You know, it cocoons itself. It kind of dissolves and disintegrates and restructures into this new being. And then it's reborn and it takes flight. And being that animal of the air, it's, it can kind of see things from a different perspective, but it comes back down to earth. It, you know, sits on flowers and it can interact with humans from afar, but it's gone through a really dynamic transformation that certainly required the the dissolution of its entire way of being but through that they were reborn into something new i just talked to murray stein uh about a month ago um about his uh the third volume of his collected works on transformation and a, a really compelling part of that um book is how much detail and attention he gives to the transformation of um the caterpillar into the butterfly and and frankly, how painful that is. Yes, exactly. That is the road of the swords. It's this really difficult path. And that's why you see, especially in the Rider Waite decks, all of this imagery of tension, of pain, of people seeming very haunted, uh, you know, wrapped up. The, the swords are this it's this dimension of the cards that shows the harsh realities of life and the type of sacrifice that we have to go through to really face these hardships. But in doing so, wisdom is born through the dissolution, through the disintegration. You step into this, um, this not only this more mature place, but I think truly like it is like the, the crucible for dynamic spiritual development. And the swords I think can get a bad rep in general because they're really scary. They're intense. They just, there's no sugarcoating it when a swords card comes up, but that's life, right? We can't just look at the nice aspects, you know, the relational qualities, things that make you feel good. Life also has darkness and that's what the swords show us. And it's, Often I think pictured, especially in the Rider Waite deck, that these moments of hardship that we see when we pull a card, like the Eight of Swords or the Nine of Swords is like the moments where we haven't fully embraced this harsh dynamic reality, or we're turning away from some aspect of shadow that continues to kind of uh, pull at us and affect our lives. And so it really challenges you to face these things um, to be open to what insights are, are coming through about what needs to be resolved inside of yourself, um, the ways in which you have to uh, 
transform these pains and losses into insight and wisdom. And, and that's just as important as the way that we build relationships or we find our purpose or we take care of our material needs. Um, so the sword, specifically the king and queen, I think really show how much we can grow into this kind of ennobled way of being by facing harsh realities and overcoming them, there is this depth of, of wisdom that comes through it. And you can apply that to life then with a sort of detachment, yes, but at the same time, it's informed by something really grounded and very real. This is blowing my mind. I'm I, like, this is the deepest conversation I've ever had about the tarot and it is exquisite. <laughs> now, so I need to know now, do you give readings? Where can people get those? Yes. Oh, thank you. This has been a fantastic conversation. And I, I think it just kind of shows you how much the tarot could be a vehicle to just lean into all these aspects of life and to make it accessible. So I do give readings. Um, you can head over to my website, elsaposi.com. And I offer sessions that are really focused on using the cards as a tool of self-inquiry. What is one thing you wish everyone knew? Hmm. I think given the conversation that we've been having today, I think one wish, I think one thing I wish people knew was that the answers lie deep within yourself. And I think at times we feel like we're grasping or we're looking outward or we're seeking some sort of revelation and we'll, we'll look towards anything for it. But there are these subtle ways in which we can tap into the inner wisdom. And that's what the tarot offers. It mirrors back our inner experiences, but it helps reveal the things that have been hiding in the darkness. And the ability to just open yourself up to that potential, to create a space to meditate, to work on yourself, to be intentional, that's like an alchemical process. Like you can transmute something that felt so stuck, so leaden into something golden just by doing that. So, you know, often the answers you seek, the ways in which you feel stuck, you know, those revelations will come from within and it can come from dreams or it can come from the tarot or, or other ways. And the tarot acts as a really, um, I was going to say kind, but I think it's more just a very grounded, very honest friend. And that is that inner friend, that inner part of you that is trying to guide you towards wholeness. Um, and so I, I, I hope that this conversation helps even just pique the interest of others in what this tool can offer you. I'm thrilled Alyssa could join us again on the Hidden World podcast this week. And I'm so grateful for her deep well of knowledge on this topic. If you'd like to book your own tarot reading with her, don't forget to check out her website. The Hidden World is edited and produced by David Gomez. Our theme song is written and recorded by David Gomez. And I'm your host, Whitney Logan. Be good to yourselves and each other.